Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Welcome to a brand new week of bringing clarity to the chaos. Today we have a supersized program as Michael Hoggard joins James Collins to talk about giants in the Bible. And Pastor Larry answers a question about Russia and Ukraine. This Friday and Saturday, Southwest Radio Ministries will be in Fort Wayne, Indiana with some of the nation's top prophecy teachers. You're invited to join Jeff Kinley, Kamal Salim, Larry Spargimino, and our guest on the program today, Michael Hoggard, for two days of teaching and encouragement. Get the complete listing of speakers and topics on our website, swrc.com, and click on Events. Registration is free, but seating is limited. The Fort Wayne, Indiana Prophecy Conference, this Friday and Saturday. Call 1-800-652-1144 for all the details and to register. Do you believe in giants? Well, you should. The Bible confirms the existence of giants. Michael Hoggard is here to examine what God's Word teaches about giants on today's Watchmen on the Wall. Who were the sons of God of Genesis 6? Some believe them to be fallen angels. Some teach they were the descendants of Adam's son Seth. Those who believe they were fallen angels often point to the book of Enoch as evidence. Those who believe they were descended from Seth often point to the writings of Augustine as evidence. Well, I don't know about you, but I want to know what the Bible says. Joining me today to look at what the Bible says about the sons of God and their offspring is Pastor Michael Hoggard. Pastor Mike is the senior pastor of Bethel Church in Festus, Missouri, and he's well known for his video messages that he produces through his prophetic research ministries. He's a longtime friend of this ministry, and he's one of my favorite Bible teachers, and Pastor Mike has produced a brand new DVD titled Giants for Those Who Don't Believe. Pastor Mike, welcome back to The Watchman on the Wall. My pleasure to be back with you good folks at Southwest Radio. I pray for you guys all the time and love your ministry. Well, I want to tell you, Pastor Mike, I've been looking forward to this conversation, this particular one, for quite a while now. Every time I have a guest on and we talk about this subject, I get phone calls, emails, and letters from listeners telling me why I am wrong for what I believe about Genesis 6. Now, some of these folks, quite frankly, are hostile. Why do you think there's so much controversy and disagreement over Genesis 6? To be honest with you, I think part of it is sort of Americans' stance against what they pretend is mythology or fables or anything like that. You know, America has turned into sort of an intellectual, more cerebral scientific nation, and, you know, we have sort of moved away from our ancestors who saw the world around them and realized that there were things in this world that couldn't be explained by a microscope or a measuring stick. It was just weird things. I've talked about cryptic creatures before that I think have been in the Bible, and I know that Dr. Hutchings years ago was part of a project that you guys put out about marginal things in the Bible, like crypto creatures and giants and dragons and things like that. I can't remember the title of the book. Marginal Mysteries. Yes, that's what it was. It was a great book. I read it and enjoyed it, and I've always been fascinated by these things, but I have a skeptical mind. 
So I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is there is a fear of some people who, like us, we hold an extremely high opinion of our Bible, and we believe that it is inspired, inerrant, and there's no mistakes in it. It is the final and really the only source of true inspiration from God. And so the accusation, the biggest accusation that I've had since I started doing some videos on giants and things like that is that I've abandoned the Bible and gone to the Book of Enoch. Right. Now, years ago, I read the Book of Enoch because I was interested. We know that Jude quotes, and I don't believe he quotes from a book of Enoch. I think Jude is quoting Enoch directly by the Holy Spirit when he said, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. So after reading the book of Enoch, I prayed about it, spent some time pondering it, and then I just came to the conclusion that book is not the Bible for a reason, and I can't trust it. So to be honest with you, I haven't read the book of Enoch in probably 20 years. It's been that far ago. But somebody on Facebook did what you're talking about. They posted something that basically accused anybody. This kind of gets me, these accusations on social media about other Christians and what they believe and what they don't believe. Some people think they're God and they're not. But anyway, this accusation that anybody who believes that angels mated with human women don't believe the Bible, they're believing Satan's lies, they've gone to the book of Enoch, they're really not saved. And that trips my trigger. When someone questions somebody else's salvation, that trips my trigger. So I wrote him back, and I told him in a private message that the alternate theory is that the sons of God were the offspring of Seth, and the daughters of men were the offspring of Cain. And I challenged him in this message to produce for me scriptural evidence that supported that idea. And I've done this with several other ministers before who questioned my stance on giants and how they came about. They said that the sons of God are children of Seth, daughters of men are children of Cain. And I said, produce scripture. Give me two witnesses or three from the scriptures that tells me that the sons of God are identified specifically as the children of Seth, daughters of men as the children of Cain, and I'll believe it. But it won't, still won't answer the question of what our Bible says about these beings that were on the earth, that they were giants. And the Bible even gives measurements for several of them. So we know that these men were not just a little bit taller than the rest of us, and not just tall. The tallest living man on record, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, was Robert Wadlow, who lived not too far from where I live. And he was 8 foot, 11 and 3 quarter inches. He died about 23 years old, and he was still growing. He had a tumor on his, one of his glands that was making him grow. But his height, being almost 9 feet tall, did not make him a strong, fierce person. He was a very gentle man. And he was by no means athletic or stout in any way because he had to wear braces to walk around. In fact, that's what killed him was a brace that gave him an infection and killed him. So just being tall didn't make Robert Wadlow one of these fierce Goliath or Og or the King of Sion. It didn't make Robert Wadlow this 
fierce enemy of God, it just made him tall. So the idea that these giants came from the offspring of Seth and Cain, number one, there's no scriptural support for it, and doesn't answer the questions of, number one, why they're so fierce, number two, why God hates them so much. And I challenged this man to produce the scriptures, and of course he couldn't. So I just tried to reason with him, but that provoked me. I'm like you. I've heard some pretty prominent Christians throughout our country who have come out just in absolute, like you said, almost accusing us of heresy mm-hmm. for believing what exactly the Bible says, believing this literal interpretation of the Scriptures. That's why I titled it the way I did, and I'm not trying to be in the video. You'll see I'm not being adversarial. I'm not being mean. I'm not being sarcastic with people. I'm just trying to lay out. I'm like a lawyer with a jury, like Paul always was. You know, what is the sum of these things? What do we think about these things? And so it was my intention to just lay out a strictly biblical case for why I believe what I believe. And then if someone wants to continue to argue it, then they must also, instead of trying to give me their reasoning or try to give me their feelings or their intuition, give me Bible, why you don't believe this. And so far, I've not had too many successful challengers on that. I'm talking today with Pastor Michael Hoggart about his DVD, Giants, for those who don't believe. This DVD contains three and a half hours of deep Bible teaching, and you can order a copy right now by calling 1-800-652-1144, or you can order online at swrc.com. Pastor Mike, you mentioned that one of the biggest problems with the view that the sons of God were descendants of Seth is the abnormal size of their offspring, the giants. And there's a passage in Numbers 13 and 14 that describe the large size of the giants. The reason that the children of Israel wouldn't go into the promised land was for fear of those giants. What are your thoughts on that particular passage? Here's the amazing thing. When I really started putting myself into this, we know the doctrines that we stand on, the biblical doctrine of salvation, why we are saved, how we're saved, and so on. We're saved by grace through faith. And in the absence of faith, people cannot be saved. And that was the whole problem with Israel. Paul said this. The whole problem with Israel is that they had the oracles of God, they just never believed it. And they didn't live like they believed it. And they were constantly turning away from what God said. They liked the miracles that they got, but they didn't like the word of God that God gave to them. They didn't believe it. To this day, they don't believe it. They're half blind, is the way Paul put it. I was amazed when you referenced Numbers 13 that I believe the writer of Hebrews was probably Paul. I know some people don't believe that, but I think it was. Mm -hmm. But anyway, in Hebrews chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews uses this story out of Numbers chapter 13 and 14 to teach about faith. And I'm reading from Hebrews 3.15, and I believe the Apostle Paul said, While it is said, Today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they heard, did provoke. Howbeit... Not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved 40 years? Now that 40 years is a direct reference to Numbers 13 and 14. 
after Israel rejected the witness of Joshua and Caleb and accepted the fear of the other ten spies that went into the land for 40 days, God said that your sentence is for every day those guys were in that land, bringing you back the proof by the cluster of grapes that two men had to carry, that's how large it was, that since they didn't believe the testimony of those two witnesses, God said that their carcasses are going to fall in the wilderness and that for every day they were gone, they were going to march a year. So for 40 years, based on those 40 days, God let that old generation of Israelites who came out of Egypt they perished in the wilderness, and it was only their children who were born in the wilderness or were too young to make that choice. He says that in there. He allowed them to go into the promised land along with Joshua and Caleb, and not even Moses could go. So I was amazed, because Paul says in verse 18, And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in, because of unbelief. And that scripture points you directly to Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14. And so you asked about the size, and I'm looking at Numbers 13 now. And the report that the men came back with, looking in verse 27, they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. So right there, you know, God had already told them, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. And when they got to the land, looked around for 40 days, they believed it. They believed what God said. Yep, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And they bring back this huge cluster of grapes. But then, verse 28, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Anak was one of those famous giants in the Bible, and I think I believe that Goliath was a descendant of Anak and mm -hmm. his brothers. Yes. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, and he goes on to list these. And in verse 31, the men that went up with them said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it as a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it were men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so we were in their sight. Now, I don't know if that's a direct ratio or not, but I don't think these guys were lying when it came to what they saw in that land. I think they saw incredibly huge men in that land. We know that Goliath was six cubits in a span. That's about nine to ten feet. We know that Og, that his bed was made of iron. The length of it measures out to be about 13 to 14 feet. Just his bed and about six feet wide. So this Og is not only tall, he's huge. And guys like that get to be king pretty easy because nobody is able to fight them. It just puts fear in these men's heart, and they instilled that fear into the children of Israel. And God said, because of that, because you don't trust in me, you're not going.
I think about some of the other genetic abnormalities in addition to the unusually large size that the Bible describes in some of the giants. What about the giants in 2 Samuel 21 who had six fingers and six toes? Yeah. Now, see, I'm a numbers guy, and I know Dr. Hutchings was too. Mm -hmm. The numbers, I think, are telling. And I'll just give you a brief synopsis. We know we're looking for something in the future to come, and that's the mark of the beast. And that number is 603 score and 6. So that's all based on the number 6. And it's interesting to me, you have Goliath, who is 6 cubits, and his spearhead, I think, weighed 600 shekels. His brother's got 6 fingers on his hand. Maybe even Goliath had them, I don't know. But this number 6 keeps popping up with these giants. We know that David, when he saw Goliath and he was talking to Saul, he said, Thy servant David has fought both a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. The lion and the bear, I think, point you directly to Revelation 13 when it describes the beast that rises up who is like a lion and a bear and a leopard. So here we have this typology story where we have David the shepherd who represents Christ. We have Goliath, this hybrid giant who represents the Antichrist or the beast in the last days. He has these sixes labeled all over him, and he receives a wound in his forehead, just like the book of Revelation tells us. Okay, So I love these stories because they open up for us biblical revelations of prophecy. You can take these stories out of our beloved King James Bible and go right to prophecies given in the prophets, things that Jesus said, the apostles, the book of Revelation. And I believe that that's the point of why should we believe that these giants were real. Number one, it was used doctrinally to show us the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith, and that the Israelites couldn't go in because they didn't believe God. But number two, I believe it's prophetic. The idea that a beast is coming, and I don't think he's going to be just a regular guy. I think he is going to be something similar to what the giants were. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man, the Bible says. Next time, I want to talk about the prophetic implications, but I also want to talk about the sons of God, where they're mentioned in the Bible, and I want you to answer the question next time, do angels have bodies and do angels have DNA? Oh, I'd love to. Michael Hoggard will continue his look at giants next time. Today, we're offering Michael Hoggard's DVD collection on giants, two DVD sets with over seven hours of insight and details into what the Bible says about giants. Order the Giants DVD collection today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. With tensions between Ukraine and Russia at all-time highs, many people are asking about the timing of the Gog-Magog war mentioned in Scripture. Pastor Larry Spargimino addresses this question in today's Ask Pastor Larry. Many wonder how the Ukrainian conflict and war with Russia fits into Bible prophecy. Is this the war of Ezekiel 38 and 39? Well, I don't believe it is, at least not at present. 
At the present time, one of the key players in this conflict is the United States. I don't see that America is directly referenced in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. Furthermore, Ezekiel 38 verse 5 mentions Iran, Libya, and Ethiopia as being involved, and those nations are not yet part of the scenario. In Ezekiel 38.16, the invaders will come against Israel like a cloud covering the land, and it will happen in the last days. That is certainly not true at the present time. The assault is not against Israel, but against Ukraine. But there's another problem in trying to identify this current Ukrainian conflict with Ezekiel 38 and 39, and that is there's disagreement regarding the timing of the War of Gog and Magog. There are several different views held by competent prophetic researchers. First, there are those who believe the Gog-Bagog war occurs before the rapture and the tribulation. This view coincides with the seven-year tribulation period. In other words, the seven years of burning the dead, mentioned in Ezekiel 39.9, correspond to the seven-year tribulation period. This is the view of Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins in the Left Behind series. However, the idea that the Gog-Magog war takes place before the rapture seems to not fit in with Ezekiel 38 verses 8 and 16 that tell us the war takes place in the last days and in the latter years. This is certainly not descriptive of the days preceding the rapture. In the Hebrew prophets, it refers to a later time. Furthermore, this invasion is said to take place during a time when Israel is living at peace, as we read in Ezekiel 38.11. In the time before the rapture, Israel is not living in peace. Hezbollah and Hamas are lobbing rockets into the Holy Land. The Iron Dome Missile Defense Shield has to be ready for a volley of rockets that may be fired at Israel at any time. Residents frequently hear the sirens warning them to take cover. A second view says that the Gog-Bagog invasion takes place after the rapture, but before the tribulation. Dr. Thomas Ice holds to this view and says this war will occur during the interval of weeks, months, or years between the rapture and the start of the tribulation. He argues that in the rapture, a great number of Christians will disappear, weakening America. Russia will see this as an opportunity to attack Israel and will do so with a coalition of modern nations. But the question is, will Muslim nations join with atheistic Russia? They've already done so. Russia has employed military units from Chechnya to fight against the Ukrainians. Chechens have been used in assassination attempts on Ukrainian President Zelensky. A third view says the Gog-Magog invasion will take place during the first half of the tribulation, which is a popular view, a view being held by men like John Walvoord, Dwight Pentecost, Charles Ryrie, and Mark Hitchcock. This view certainly satisfies the condition that Israel will be at peace during the first half of the tribulation. This period of peace will grow out of Israel signing a peace treaty with the revived Roman Empire. If the Gog-Magog War takes place during the first half of the tribulation, as supporters of this third view contend, the destruction of the Muslim forces by God in this war will create a power vacuum. In the absence of Muslim forces, the Antichrist will be able to consolidate his forces and attain world domination. The Antichrist, one world religion, will find opportunity for rapid growth. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, however, asks, 
why would God miraculously intervene on Israel's behalf as described in the Gog-Bagog War only to allow events of the second half of the tribulation to do great damage to Israel? Another view that is becoming popular is the view that the Gog-Bagog War occurs at the end of the millennium. In Revelation 20, verse 7 and following, we read, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. In both Ezekiel 38 and 39 and Revelation 20, a great multitude is involved, and in both passages, God is the one who defeats the invaders. This view explains Israel's prosperity and the nation living in a time of peace in unwalled villages. However, as can be expected, many have raised problems with and objections to this view. Ezekiel 38 and 39 is part of a larger section of material dealing with the restoration of Israel, and we see that in chapters 33 through 39. Following this, with Ezekiel chapter 40 and following, we have the Millennial Temple, which suggests that the millennium follows the war of Gog and Magog. In contrast, Revelation 27 through 10 speaks about a war after the thousand-year millennial period. One thing is certain, at this present time, what is happening in Ukraine does not match Ezekiel 38 and 39. What is significant about the Ukrainian situation is the great unity that we see in the world over the invasion of Ukraine. Both Christians and non-Christians, both conservatives and liberals, are horrified at the brutality of the Russian soldiers. Most of the world supports Ukrainian President Zelensky. What do we make of this worldwide unity and support for Ukraine? It may simply be a prelude to a worldwide unity under the government of the Antichrist, the so-called New World Order. War is ugly, and the idea of a nation like Russia with a leader like Putin is a dangerous combination. Will all the nations of the world demand national disarmament? Will the world step in line under the leadership of a world leader? That is certainly a possibility. On the other hand, if we look at the Roman world of the first century A.D., there is a parallel. Rome was certainly not friendly to Christianity. Judaism was legal. Christianity was not. However, the Roman Empire produced what is known as the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Rome's military might had produced a period of peace all over the empire. A system of roads and highways made travel possible. Piracy and banditry was at a minimum. It was a period that was favorable for the Apostle Paul and others to travel throughout the empire preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is possible that the current unity that we see may produce many opportunities for witness and evangelism. Whatever this unity means, however, our responsibility is still the same. We are to go into all the world to make disciples of all nations. The call to reach out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the farthest reaches of the earth is our field of endeavor. Will we be faithful? That is the real question. Today in our Resource Center, we are highlighting Michael Hoggard's DVD collection on giants. Two DVD sets with over seven hours of insight and details into what the Bible says about giants. 
Order the Giants DVD collection today when you call 1-800-652-1144 or order online swrc.com. Tomorrow, Michael Hager continues his look at Giants in the Bible. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for 89 years by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.